Isaiah chapter 60. We uh, last week finished up a, a section that's kind of, uh, kind of heavy um, there in you know, the book of Isaiah. But now in chapter 60, kind of an interesting passage because, uh, well, for many reasons, but one, is which, one of which you may not ever hear pastors talk about Isaiah 60 through 66. It's not a scripture people just gravitate to. And I'll, I'll tell you, I have some theories as to why people, you don't find a lot of sermons or uh, series on uh, Isaiah 60 onward. It has to do with, um, some people think it's difficult to understand uh, what it's all about. And, um, and I can understand that it, with some of the biblical views as it relates to end times, eschatology or the, the, the way the end times are gonna roll out. Um, this has caused great confusion in these passages because people don't know what time period or what application to make of the various things that are said. And so a lot of churches just avoid it altogether. Um, but that's one of the things about going verse by verse is you kind of need to cover the whole thing. But I think it actually is the solution to the whole problem because if you go verse by verse through the whole Bible, the sections that to a lot of people don't make sense uh, do because you've covered the whole Bible and it starts to come together nicely. It's a little bit like when you're putting together a puzzle. Remember when you're a kid and you're trying to solve puzzles and you'd have pieces, but some pieces just you couldn't figure it out until you got some of the other part of the puzzle figured out first. Then when you get that part figured out, then the other pieces start fitting in nicely and eventually it all starts coming together. Um, I, I would argue that <clears throat> some of the different eschatological views, that is, um, the way people believe the end times are gonna roll out or not roll out, or, you know, there's all kinds of views out there. Um, and I don't spend a lot of time talking about the other views because I'm, a, I'm firmly believing in uh, the pre-trib, pre-millennial, uh, the rapture of the church. That's, that's the perspective I come from. And, you know, if you're an amillennialist, a lot of amillennialists don't even know they're amillennialists. <laughs> you know, if you're a Catholic, um, you're probably an amillennialist, whether you know it or not. Um, and that is the Catholic church. And, and many even Protestant churches believe that there's no literal millennial kingdom. Ah, millennial, no millennial kingdom. And, um, and so that's a problem when you're talking about the millennium in the Bible. Um, that's why Isaiah 60 and onward is difficult uh, for Catholics to read and understand because they don't really even believe in a literal millennial kingdom. And so that makes it hard when you're talking about a literal millennial kingdom. Uh, and um, <clears throat> there's other views, you know, post-trib, there's some people that don't believe in a rapture at all, uh, even though it is in the Bible, not the word itself, but the idea of us being caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, harpazo is the Greek word used there. Caught up is the English, uh, the Latin translation is rapture. And so <clears throat> we have these notions in the Bible that all these puzzle pieces come together quite nicely when you have that premillennial, uh, pre-trib view of when the rapture of the church is gonna happen, the second coming of Christ, the millennial kingdom, when you see it as literal. By the way, that's one of the biggest things is uh, a literal interpretation versus more of a figurative. If you're not an amillennialist, you might be a preterist. Uh, I've noticed a lot of the new reformed churches and <clears throat> that's kind of been, been sort of a hip trend uh, with some lately in the past decade or so to become sort of a preterist where nothing is to be taken literally. Um, I have a real simple argument uh, really against 
that. I'll just tell you what it is. Um, you know, I can understand uh, 500 years ago, not really wanting to take some of these biblical prophecies literally. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean, like if, if you're talking about, you know, Israel, uh, the Jews regathering into the Holy Land of Israel uh, in Jerusalem and, and uh, becoming a mighty nation and all the nations of the world that would hate Israel. You know, 500 years ago, you'd have to say, well, that's not gonna happen. Israel hasn't been a, a nation for 1500 years and um, they're never gonna be another nation. They've been scattered all over the world. Y you would say these promises to Israel must be figurative and must be speaking of the church. And so this whole harebrained idea of the church replacing Israel uh, when you read the Old Testament, you, you, you take all the promises for the church and all the curses go to the Jews. And because of that kind of a notion, amillennialism and um, what is today preterism, when you take things figuratively, um, you, you can have kind of some real problems when you're trying to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible. Um, the puzzle pieces aren't gonna connect for you. Uh, you got to put all the pieces together and then it all starts to really come together nicely. Um, I believe it's the pre-trib, pre-millennial view that really fits and you can really defend the whole Bible quite easily. Now, now I, I, I mentioned the literal you know, view of the Bible. <clears throat> that's, that's so great today because now, not 500 years ago, but today, God has done what he said he would do. He's regathered the Jews in Israel. They become a mighty nation. <laughs> All the nations of the world are uh, largely against the Jews. Um, we see the Ezekiel 38 prophecies that we talk about, you know, the nations that are gonna be poised to attack Israel in the latter days. They're poised right now. The very nations listed in Ezekiel 38, we talk about that in our prophecy updates. Um, <clears throat> and so it's so easy to see a literal uh, view of biblical prophecy today. Um, and uh, I, I think that um, it's unfortunate that a lot of churches have bailed out on Bible prophecy because um, they just can't figure it out. So why talk about it? It's too controversial or it's too divisive. They say, there shouldn't be anything divisive about Bible prophecy. It's an in-house discussion. Uh, we can talk about it and um, and hopefully, um, you know, uh, agree to disagree if, if, if that's the case. But, but it's my purpose and my plan to show um, how it's so much easier to take um, the Bible literally and go with the pre-trib, pre-millennial view. Now, one of the things you'll hear people talk about is dispensationalism. And um, some people are critical of that, um, but I believe that dispensationalism is something that helps make sense uh, and even answer some seeming contradictions in the Bible. Um, you know, uh, President Barack Hussein Obama made one of these contradictions um, statements where he said, what are we gonna do? You know, believe the Bible when it says we're to take our children if they're disobedient and take them outside of the city and stone them to death? Um, the Bible does say that, by the way, it's in the Bible. Uh, how many of us would have survived that <laughs> if, if we lived when you're supposed to be taken outside of the city and stoned to death as a child when you disobey your parents? I think we'd all be pretty much toast um, if that were the case. So why does the Bible say that? Well, that's a very good question. I'm glad you asked. The Bible says it because there was a time period, let's put it this way, a dispensation of time where God put a certain law on the people of Israel, the Jews. It was the law of Moses given to them in the scriptures. And, um, you know, let me just read to you before we get into, you know, Isaiah 60, 
Um, Ephesians chapter one, uh, verse eight says, you know, Paul's explaining this to the Ephesians. He says, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Isn't that something we all wanna know is the mystery of God's will? It's a bit of a mystery, knowing what God's will is. People ask me that all the time, Brett, how do you know God's will? Well, one of the things he says, the Lord, he has made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself. Listen, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and that which is on the earth, even in him. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together to get all one. Um, this is something that the Lord does in dispensation of time. So let me go over that really briefly because this, this will help make sense of Isaiah chapter 60. I'm, I'm not just trying to give you, um, you know, a lecture on dispensationalism, but um, you know, what is dispensationalism? Well, the idea is um, that the Lord has given us dispensations of time um, that are, that, that, and, and by the way, people get confused and get all defensive on this one. They're not paths to salvation during those dispensations of time. Um, let me just say this, Christ died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. And Hebrews says he died once for all. The reason Abraham was able to be counted to righteousness is because Jesus died on the cross for his sins. Um, now, Abraham would look forward into history when Christ would die. We look back through history when Christ died, but Christ died for our sins and died for Abraham's sins. So we're not making the case that there's different ways to salvation in different times. Uh, there's not paths to salvation, but there are manners in which God, the dispensations of times are manners in which God related to humanity or dealt with humanity. Um, each dispensation you know, includes kind of a recognizable pattern. Um, you know, how God would work with people living in that specific dispensation of time. Um, you know, uh, the pattern tends to be there's some kind of a responsibility given to man, and then there was a failure with man, and then there would be judgment before men, and then there would be grace for those people. And, and that pattern is seen in all the dispensations. Um, but dispensationalism does tend to result in a premillennial interpretation of Christ's second coming, uh, which is the view that, that we hold, um, and, and usually also a pre-tribulation view of when the rapture is gonna happen. Uh, so to summarize, dispensationalism is a theological you know, system that the scriptures show us that emphasizes literal interpretation of Bible prophecy, um, it recognizes a distinction between Israel and the church, and it organizes the Bible into different dispensations or administrations of time. Um, generally, there are seven agreed upon dispensations of time, and I'm, I'm not gonna go in depth. You can look this up um, and, and study dispensationalism further, but um, the first age is innocence. You might say Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 3-7. That is when you know, Adam and Eve were made and there was a dispensation where they were in good relationship with God. What a, what, what, we'll call that the dispensation of innocence because there was no sin yet. That was a very short-lived dispensation, but what a glorious one that will be. I wonder if that's gonna be something like the millennial kingdom, um, when we'll be all good with God and the world will be without sin and there won't be in a fallen state any longer. But 
we call that the age of innocence and God walked with man in the cool of the day. Would you agree that, that we don't walk with God in the same way that Adam and Eve walked with God before the, the sin? And that's called the age of innocence. The second one is conscience. Um, that's when suddenly they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they, they're knower. Their conscience uh, convicted them of their own sin. Remember, they ran and hid themselves. Um, that's Genesis 3.8 through Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. That's the age of conscience um, of where they knew that they were in sin. In sin. And that was a different time uh, period. And the way God dealt with their sin, do you remember what he did? He uh, made skins, uh, animal skins and clothed them. And that's how God covered their nakedness. And it's kind of an interesting dispensation of the way God was dealing with humanity at that time. But then there came in the next dispensation of time, what we would call human government. Genesis 9:1 through Genesis 11:32, um, human government. By the way, each one of these dispensations tend to be linked to certain people, especially, um, you know, where, um, you know, the, the, the government uh, of humanity would fail us, you know, and, and there you got the Tower of Babel and that whole story. But then you have the, the dispensation of promise. Um, Genesis chapter 12 through Exodus 19.25, a promise to Abraham um, uh, or um, sort of a covenant, if you would, um, you know, for uh, the Jewish people that God would make an everlasting covenant with them. And you might call that the Abrahamic covenant. Um, and this was, by the way, before the law was given, before the law of Moses, there was this covenantal period, Abraham all the way through to Moses with the Jews, where there was this covenantal relationship that God had with the Jews. But that would bring us to the next dispensation, if you would, the law, the giving of the law. And that's, of course, Exodus chapter 20, verse one. And that would carry all the way to New Testament time. The Jews would be under the law all the way to what I might say, uh, Acts chapter two, verse four. The reason I go to Acts two on that is because that's when the church started, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. Uh, the resurrected Jesus changed the dispensation to um, the next one called grace. So the law period was Exodus 20, uh, chapter 20, all the way through Acts chapter two, the Jews, God dealing with humanity according to Jewish law. But then the next one would be what we might call the, the, the dispensation of grace, or you might call it the church age, um, the dispensation of the church. And that goes from Acts chapter two, um, all the way to Revelation chapter 20. Um, and that's gonna be uh, the church age. Um, you know, you might, you might even say that uh, it goes through Revelation chapter, you know, three and four, uh, or, or even five, but then you see the rapture of the church in uh, the heavenly scene in the early part of the book of Revelation. And then you have after the church age, there, there is a tribulation period, seven years, and the Lord's gonna deal differently with humanity in that time period as well. Um, uh, and then there's another one, the last time, which you might call the millennial kingdom, thousand years after that. So there, there, there are times that God intervened and dealt with humanity in different ways, with different requirements even. Um, but at the same time, none of them were contrary to the other or contradictory to the other. You might say, Brett, why does God have different seasons and dispensations of time? Um, don't know for certain, uh, but there's evidence 
that God is wanting to train humanity, to teach humanity, to prepare humanity for whatever it is that the future holds in the millennial kingdom. And even after that, after the new heaven and the new earth, God is building within us understandings. And there's gonna be hints and evidence of each one of those dispensations, I think in the millennial kingdom. We'll even see tonight, for example, in the dispensation of the law, the, the, you know, we in the church age, Galatians makes it clear that we are no longer under the law. That's the mistake, by the way, that Barack Hussein Obama made when he said, what are we gonna do? Take our children out and stone them if we're gonna follow the Bible? That was the dispensation of the law. When the Jews were under the law and, and, uh, and we Gentiles in the church, we are not under the law. The law was a schoolmaster. It served a purpose, Galatians says, to drive us to Jesus Christ. So we as Christians, we don't uh, have to keep the law. Um, we're not under the law. By the way, um, this is the same thing is true. The law is good for study and we learn from it. But if you're trying to keep the law, if you're gonna try to keep one point of the law, you gotta keep all points of the law. Um, have you ever had somebody say, the Bible says you can't get a tattoo. Leviticus tells us that you're not supposed to mark your skin. Have you seen that one? Heard that one? It's nice if you're a mom and dad trying to make your case with your kids. But if your kids are smart, they'd say, mom and dad, should we also not, dad, should you not shave the corners of your beard? Because <laughs> right next to that, when it says don't mark your skin, it also says don't shave the corners of your beard. Um, so you gotta let the, the sides of your beard kind of grow out and become spit curls. <laughs> like the Jews, if you're, you know, or, or also stone your kid uh, if he's disobedient. See, we're not under those Old Testament laws. Now there's other arguments you could make for, uh, you know, tattoos and stuff like that. But, but uh, I think it's a real hard one to make a law Old Testament argument out of it because that was a different dispensation of time. God was intervening with the Jewish people in a different way. Now, the reason I tell you all that is because it makes the Bible really come to life and, and you start to see what God's doing. And, the, and when you understand which dispensation we're talking about, it brings real clarity to the discussion. And if you don't have that understanding that God deals differently through the ages with different people, groups, and what have you, then it can almost seem like the Bible's contradictory. Do you kill your children if they're disobedient or not? Uh, and, and you see, people like to make those, uh, what I call a false dilemma. Uh, it's, it's, it's putting the Lord in this false dilemma that never really was. It's that God is doing different work through the dispensations of time, just like Ephesians 1 says. I hope that helps. Because see, this is why Isaiah 60 and 61 has been so challenging for people to um, rightly uh, interpret is because they don't understand the millennial kingdom is gonna be so different than the dispensation we live in presently. I know people that think the kingdom of God when it comes, it's gonna be just like this, only Christ is gonna be ruling from Jerusalem, but you'll still be working your job. You know, we'll still be dealing with things like the coronavirus and stuff like that. They almost think like business as usual. But, but when I read the Bible and I read about the millennial kingdom, it's gonna be supernatural it's gonna to be totally different than what we have right now. Um, your body is not gonna be the same. Your, your existence is gonna be different. People are gonna live instead of, you know, if a, if a person dies at 100 years old, the Bible says in the millennial kingdom, it'll be like a three-year-old, a preschooler dying. Um, you know, the longevity of life is gonna be so much longer. And, you know, uh, we're even gonna talk about how, will there even be a need for the sunshine? 
Um, man, I love the sun. We've had some beautiful days here in uh, Portland. I'm so thankful that, that September, you know, we've been ending on these 85 degree days and stuff because it's, we felt like we got a little robbed from all the smoke weeks uh, of September, but the Lord has been gracious. We see the bright shining sun. There's nothing that makes you feel better than the sun. You know, get your little vitamin D and uh, feeling really good with the sunshine. Of course, smoke rolled in tonight a little bit from Southern California fires, but... Um, but I do love that sunshine. And, and the thing is, humanity loves sunshine. It feels good to us, to us. But in the millennial kingdom, there's gonna be a whole different thing than the sun. And, and it's not gonna be a lesser. People, but what, is, what about the sun? You won't even think about it because there's something that's gonna be better. We'll even show you that, Lord willing, tonight. Because the millennial kingdom, the thousand years of Christ ruling and reigning on this earth is gonna be so different, so miraculous, so beautiful. Um, you know, it's gonna make this look like nothing. So don't be duped into thinking we have to usher in the kingdom ourselves. There's a dominion now, kingdom now theology that says we have to elect Christian officials and we have to save everybody in the world before the kingdom of God can be ushered in by us. That's just wrong. Um, The Bible says in the last days, perilous times will come. Things are gonna get worse and worse. And that's what we're seeing. Um, And if you're a kingdom now pastor, good luck trying to convince your congregation that things are really good right now. Things are getting better. I've heard pastors try to make that case. Uh, People are not feeling that, nor does the Bible teach that. Bible says in the last days, men will grow worse and worse. And that's what we're saying. Then it's during that time, the Lord is gonna return, the second coming of Christ, and he's gonna usher in his kingdom. I hope this is making uh, you know, sense to you because there is a lot of teaching out there that it's kind of diminishing or even dismissing the things that I'm sharing with you there. And some people like to try to you know, um, argue against that. But I believe that if you were on a desert island and you read the Bible cover to cover, and all you had, no commentaries, no YouTube, uh, you know, all these people saying different theories. I believe the most natural, easy understanding of the whole Bible, contextually working together to be God's plan for humanity is, is what I just explained. These, these seasons of time throughout history, we're in the church age right now. Um, the next season of time is gonna be when, when the, what we call the day of the Lord, when God, flips a switch. It's going to be a switch. The church is going to be raptured and the Lord's going to pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting sinful world. He's not doing that right now. That'll be a different dispensation, uh, the time of tribulation that's coming. And then the millennial kingdom is going to be totally different even from that. So uh, uh, I hope that helps make sense of this. Now, the reason all of that, because we're talking about the millennial kingdom largely, mostly here in Isaiah chapter 60. And that's why we start off with these good words. By the way, just a quick reminder, in in chapter 59, um, we left off last Wednesday with these words, verse 20, and the Redeemer shall come to Zion. Remember, Zion is a name of Jerusalem, specifically the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And so the Redeemer, we know who that is. You and I, as Bible students, know that's speaking of Jesus. The Redeemer, Jesus, shall come to Zion. And so in chapter 59 now, um, that's still sort of uh, pre-millennial type talk. But the Redeemer coming to Zion, when that happens, now we're talking millennial kingdom. And that's what happens in verse one of chapter 60. 
we are seeing the second coming of Christ. Now, um, one of the things that Isaiah, as a um, writer, one of the tools he uses, literary tools, is to sort of talk about something as if it's already happened, but it's still yet in the future. Now you say, well, why does he do that? It helps us sort of get a sense of what it's gonna be like. Uh, but don't be confused, it hasn't already happened yet, it's going to. I uh, hope that helps. So what happens in chapter 60, verse one? Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Just like the sunrise in the morning, that's what the millennial kingdom's gonna be. This old world is getting darker, getting dirtier, getting sadder. We're seeing it. Um, and uh, people are discouraged right now. Isn't it something? I, I see such despair, whether you're talking about the coronavirus, which is really tough. We have a, um, a brother in the church who um, uh, contracted the coronavirus and is struggling. We're all praying for his health and for his recovery. He's in the hospital. Um, but you know, you, 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 it's, it's depressing, this whole coronavirus thing. And, and then all the anger and hatred and vitriol about what you should do about it and the division about how to solve the, the current you know, sickness and stuff. Um, and some people overreacting and, and shutting down the whole you know, country and other people opening up the country. And people are divided on this. Um, and so there's, there's despair and darkness. You know, if you saw the presidential debate last night, you know, um, uh, who won, who lost? Well, there's a lot of people are saying, the American people. <laughs> uh, and, and they're saying it's because it was just such a kind of a brutal, you know, knockdown, drag out uh, debate. And people are arguing about this and that and the other thing, no matter what your politi political opinions are. You know, it's, it's just sad where we are as a country. Um, but it's not just the United States that's feeling this. You know, the whole world is looking for leadership. They're struggling. There's just kind of a heaviness and darkness on the earth. And I think that's easy to defend and show. Globally, there's trouble. We'll talk more about that, I think, on Friday. But the millennial kingdom, when Christ returns, it's gonna be like the morning sun, you know, that's coming up on the horizon and light is gonna shine. What a beautiful picture this uh, Isaiah gives to us. Um, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness, um, the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. The light of God. Jesus gave us a glimpse of that, didn't he? When, he, when Jesus came, he declared unto them, I am the light of the world, but, but we have no idea. You know, in a sense, Jesus came, you know, as a humble servant in the form of a man. But when he comes the second coming, we're gonna see him in his glory and he's gonna be very different um, than what we saw just as the carpenter from Nazareth, you know. Uh, the second coming of Christ, he's gonna come in brightness and light. Now, by the way, um, the Gentiles are talked about. Now, now for you, um, you know, that are just kind of jumping into the Bible newly, um, keep in mind, Jews are God's chosen people and, and the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is very Jewish-centered, um, focused, focused on the Jews and the dispensations that are related to the Jew, the time period, you know, like the law. That's why so much of what we read about in Exodus and Leviticus and all that is, is about the Jewish people. 
But here in Isaiah, the Gentiles, and now Gentiles are anybody who's not a Jew, uh, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, us Americans or Greek people or, you know, the Romans of biblical time, you know, they were Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And the thing is, the millennial kingdom will be made up of Jews and God has a big plan for the Jews in the millennial kingdom, but the Gentiles will also be there. And so this light that's shining on the earth will shine both on Jew and Gentile. Check it out, verse three, it says, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light. You might even say they are and have been doing that for a long time. We, the church of Jesus Christ, have been coming to the light for, you know, a couple thousand years now. But maybe this is even talking about in the millennial kingdom. I'll show you what I mean here. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, verse three, and the kings uh, to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together, they come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then shalt thou see and flow together and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged because the abundance of the sea or the nations, is the idea there, the abundance of the nations or the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces, um, you'll see in your um, margin, the wealth uh, is what that could be a translation. Uh, converted to the sea and the forces or wealth of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. To who? Well, if you're, if you're saying something's coming from the Gentiles to someone else, who is that? The Jews. Uh, during the millennial kingdom, all that the Gentiles have in wealth um, will be given to, coming to, the Jewish person during the millennial kingdom. And it says, verse six, the multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Epath, and uh, they, they from Sheba shall come and shall bring, bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. When the Lord comes in the millennial kingdom and to rule and reign the Gentile nations, the Jews, I think, will be gathered in Jerusalem around the throne of Jesus, who's gonna rule and reign during the millennial kingdom. But the Gentiles um, are gonna come from afar and they'll bring, bring gold and, 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 and uh, frankincense and, uh, and wealth is the idea. Kind of like his first coming. Remember when Jesus came in his humble first coming and they, the wise men brought gold, frankincense and myrrh? Hey Brett, why don't they bring myrrh here in Isaiah 60? Good, good that you asked. Um, notice there's only gold and frankincense. Gold, um, you know, uh, speaks of Christ's deity. Frankincense speaks of Christ's intervening and intercession on behalf of us. Myrrh in the, you know, nativity scene of Jesus speaks of his death because myrrh was that spice they used to embalm the body of a, of a dead person and Jesus. So the gold spe speaks of his deity, frankincense speaks of his intervening on humanity and myrrh speaks of his death. In his second coming, there's no death coming. His second coming, they're just bringing gold and frankincense. I think that's really interesting that they're gonna be bringing gifts like they did in the first coming, but that's gonna be different in the second coming and there's no need for the myrrh because Christ already died. Christ died once, for all, he's coming as a risen savior in the millennial kingdom. And the nations, including the Midianites and people from Sheba, which is around Saudi Arabia, and really the Gentiles from all over the world are gonna come and bring you know, those kind of gifts.
So um, again, you can see why this is confusing to people that don't understand the millennial kingdom and, and Christ coming is second coming. This would be hard to make sense of if you don't know that that's what we're talking about. Well, he goes on and says, verse seven, all the flocks of Kedar, which is probably modern day Kuwait. We have a few Athe Creekers in Kuwait in our, serving in our military. Uh, we should always keep them in prayer. Um, but uh, Kuwait's that sort of place down there in, the, in that region of, of what we're talking about here in verse six. Uh, Kedar and, and shall be gathered together unto thee, the rands of Nivaut, then shall minister unto thee. They shall come up with the acceptance of mine altar and I will glorify the house of my glory. So there's a bunch here. Uh, first of all, who are the people of Kedar? I told, told you somewhat uh, today, it's Kuwait. But uh, Nebaiot, uh, that group of people, this is probably speaking mostly of just Arabs. Um, Nebaiot was the oldest son of Ishmael. Remember, Abraham had Isaac, but he also had Ishmael. Ishmael was not the promised son, but Ishmael, the Ishmaelites became what is known as the Arab people. The um, people of uh, Isaac became the people of God, the Jews. Um, and they've been battling it out ever since from Ishmael and Isaac all the way to the present day. In the millennial kingdom, there'll be Arabs and that region of the Arabs that will come uh, gathering together um, and ministering to the, to the Jews. Uh, that's very different than what we see today. Uh, but that's gonna be seen in the millennial kingdom. So Nebaot was the oldest son of Ishmael and Kedar was also a son of Ishmael. So we could be talking about the Arab people. Um, and it says, they shall come up with acceptance on mine altar. In the millennial kingdom, there'll be a millennial temple. We'll talk about that in the book of Ezekiel coming up, um, the various temples and the millennial temple that J Jesus will rule and reign from during that time period in the future, the millennial kingdom. Uh, there's a temple with an altar and I will glorify the house of my glory. Um, will there be an altar in the millennial kingdom? Yes. Will there be animal sacrifice in the millennial kingdom? Right now during the church age, there's no animal sacrifice. It's a different dispensation of time. During the dispensation of the law, the Jews were to sacrifice animals. And, and sheep and goats and bulls and rams and birds, there was the law and that's what they did. Um, and you say, will that ever be reinstituted, the animal sacrifice? During the millennial kingdom, the answer is yes. Uh, read Ezekiel chapter 40 uh, through 44, um, and you'll see that there'll be a reinstituting of animal sacrifice. Now, some people might say, Brett, what's the point? Um, you might say then, what's the point of communion? Uh, the reason we take communion in the church age, this is what Christ requires. This is what God requires of us in the church age. Do we remember Jesus dying on the cross for our sins by slaying a lamb and putting it on an altar? No, that's the requirement of the law dispensation for the Jews during that time period. For us in the church age, it's to go to the table and eat of the bread and drink of the cup and remember the lamb that would be slain for the sins of the world. During the millennial age, they're gonna reinstitute animal sacrifice on the altar in Jerusalem. Um, and it'll be to commemorate what Jesus did to save us and the, and the world and the Jews from their sins. And it'll be a reminder of what actually took place 
um, on the cross. Uh, one of the things, each one of those dispensation periods that I talked about at the beginning have little snapshots and things that point to the cross. Well, where did the, the cross um, show up in the very first dispensation of innocence or, or, or um, conscience in the Garden of Eden? Remember the Proto-Evangelium, the first mention of the gospel where the seed of the woman, born of a woman, virgin is the idea there, would crush the head of a serpent. That was the mention. That was the uh, point there in the age of conscience, uh, speaking of the cross. I mean, you know, you could even uh, talk about the animal sacrifice uh, when, when God took skins from an animal and covered Adam and Eve of their sins. Those skins pointed to the cross. Every dispensation through the ages has pointed us to the cross in some way, shape or form. And then some of them were even required commemorations, whether it was sacrifice on an altar, um, when we read in the book of Hebrews, there's no more lamb, bull, ram, or goat sacrifice for offering. Why? Because we're in the dispensation of grace, uh, the church age. And, and I'm thankful for that, that we don't have to slay a lamb on an altar. I, I love that we can go to the table and eat and drink of our Lord, the bread and the cup. And that's the way we do it in this dispensation. Um, I hope this helps answer because um, people that are not believing in dispensationalism, um, they, they have a hard time explaining, well, why don't we sacrifice things anymore? Why don't we not get tattoos? Because um, the, and why don't we slay our children if they're disobedient? <laughs> the answer is because we don't live in, under the law. It's a different time. God has different requirements for his people during these times. God's not changing. Uh, some people will say dispensationalism, God change, you know, changing his mind. No, dispensationalism is God rolling out his plan through the ages to teach us, to show humanity what we need to know and learn to prepare us for the millennial kingdom and the new heaven and the new earth after that. Um, and it's all part of God's plan and purpose. He knew he was gonna do it long before he ever did it. So all that to say, um, uh, I love this. It's, it's talking about um, that period where people will go to Jerusalem to sacrifice in the temple there in verse seven. Verse eight goes on. Who are these that fly as a cloud, as the doves to their windows? Surely the isles, again, probably a name for the nations, the isles that shall wait for me and the ships of Tarshish first to bring thy sons from far, their silver and their gold with them unto the name of the Lord thy God and to the Holy One of Israel because he hath glorified thee. Boy, this, this uh, topic of conversation is, is interesting. Um, the Jews are gonna somehow uh, fly from afar with the ships of Tarshish. What is that? Now, Tarshish is an interesting one because um, it's used in two ways in the Bible. It's definitely a place and many scholars believe it's England. <laughs> Tarshish is English, England or uh, the British. Um, and it could be that. But in Bible times, when they talked about ships of Tarshish, it was almost like um, it was an idiom for ships that came from a far ways off. Um, uh, and that could be just an idiom for that, uh, speaking of this. But the ships of Tarshish, uh, what are they gonna do? Um, they were gonna bring thy sons, the Jewish sons, from afar, their silver and their gold with them um, unto the name of the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, because he hath glorified thee. So Jews are gonna be being gathered. Now they are gathering now, and some believe this is talking about that, and it could be. 
But it's mostly, I think, even in the millennial kingdom, there's still gonna be a gathering of Jewish people. Remember in Romans chapter um, 11, it says then when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, all of Israel will be saved. And I believe at the beginning of the millennium, as the sun rises here in chapter 60, one of the things that's gonna happen is the rest of the Jews that have yet to gather will be gathered and they'll fly from afar and the Jews will go to Jerusalem and they've got a real purpose there. We're gonna learn what the Jews role is in future studies here. They're gonna serve Christ in the temple in Jerusalem. The Jews are gonna live in Jerusalem uh, during the millennial kingdom uh, and will all of them? I think so. It's possible that every Jew on the earth will come to Jerusalem uh, during the millennial kingdom. Um, and I wouldn't die on that battlefield and make a you know, huge issue of that, but it does seem that that might be just what happens here. The Lord's gonna uh, bring them on the ships of Tarshish, whatever those are, perhaps Britain, maybe 747s, maybe something miraculous, supernatural, but somehow the Jews are all gonna get to Jerusalem uh, according to this scripture. Verse 10, and the sons of strangers shall build up thy walls and their kings shall minister unto thee or serve thee, the Jews. For in my wrath, I smote thee, but in my favor, have I had mercy on thee. That's what the Lord has done with the Jews. Because of their rebellion, the Lord smote them, spanked them. And they have been in that spanked status for quite some time. Um, you know, the Jews have had a tough go because of their, you know, breaking of their law, the, uh, the um, rejection of the Messiah. Um, there, many Jews in Israel today are atheists. But the Lord is gonna bring them uh, and gather them. Even though he smote them, he will have mercy on them. Therefore, verse 11, thy gates shall be opened continually. They shall not be shut day nor night, that men may bring unto thee the, fo the forces, again, that's the word uh, wealth, uh, of the Gentiles, and that their kings may be brought for the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall utterly be wasted. Um, so you say, some of you uh, potheads are like, wasted? Cool, the nation's gonna get wasted. No, that means they're gonna be totally destroyed. Um, what nations are gonna be destroyed? Mark this, note this, be clear on this. The nations that says here, uh, it says here, for the nation and kingdom that will not serve, serve thee, the Jews, shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. Um, by the way, uh, this sort of couples well with what the gospel of Matthew talks about. There's coming a judgment where the Lord's gonna divide out the nations in Matthew chapter 25, the judgment of the, sea, uh, the sheep and the goats. Um, and that's gonna be judging the nations who treated Jews nicely and who treated Jews badly. Um, the, the nations that are hating the Jews, the Lord's gonna judge those nations. And it's gonna, it's gonna be fully seen and um, re realized during the millennial kingdom. That's when you'll see that judgment of the sheep and the goats um, realized to the fullest degree. Is there uh, what we're talking about in verse 12? There in verse 13, the glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, the fir tree, the pine tree, the box together, a uh, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons also of them that afflict thee shall come bending unto thee, and all they that despised thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee uh, 
the city of the Lord, um, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. <laughs> um, by the way, um, you know, throughout the Bible, um, the Lord tells us who owns Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Because uh, the world argues to this day, who owns Jerusalem? Who does Jerusalem belong to? And depending on your political views and your biblical views or not having biblical views, some people say it belongs to the Arab. Um, the, uh, some uh, you know, uh, nations say the Islamist, third most holy site in Islam. So the Muslims own Jerusalem. Um, the Jews are occupiers, the world tries to say. Um, but as it turns out, the Bible says Jerusalem belongs to God. Isn't it funny that there's a city on the planet that God says, yeah, that's my city. Uh, it's not, you know, Portland, obviously. <laughs> it's not Dundee. Um, it's not New York City. It's, it's Jerusalem that God, he says, I have put my name on Jerusalem. And here in Isaiah, during the millennial kingdom, God's gonna take total ownership of Jerusalem. And that's what it's saying. You know, um, they shall call thee, um, and the city of, they'll call Jerusalem the city of Jehovah. The word Lord there is in all caps. So it's the city of Jehovah, the, uh, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. That's God. God is gonna take possession of Jerusalem. So when you're talking to people about the Arab-Israeli conflict and the Palestinian debate, um, don't get caught up. This is where, again, um, some of our people that don't take the Bible literally get into real trouble. Because in Zechariah 12 and Zechariah 14, it says those in the last days who will try to divide Jerusalem in half are handling a cup of trembling and they're gonna be dealing with deadly poison. Um, it's like a brutal thing when you try to divide Jerusalem. And boy, that sure has turned out true. All the nations that have tried to you know, divide Jerusalem, that doesn't work out so well for them. Um, it is interesting because, uh, you know, uh, the cup of trembling has happened. We've seen that. I think it's gonna be further realized in the last days. But even our um, former president, um, you know, again, uh, Obama, he said, we need to get back to the 1967 borders in Israel, which is a scary thing for us Bible prophecy people. When he said that, because that border of 67 chops Jerusalem in half. Half of it goes to the Palestinians, half of it goes to the Jews. And uh, that, that's something the Bible says in the last days, they'll try to do that. Now, some of you might say, well, Trump did the same thing with his you know, deal of the century that he made with the Jews and, the, and he, he tried to reach out to the, the Arabs, the Palestinians. Um, and I, I think that you should know this if you're, if you're a student of uh, the geopolitics and the Bible. One thing you should know about the Trump peace deal that he attempted to make with the Palestinians and the Jews, um, did you notice how Netanyahu and the Jews were all excited about it? Um, but the Palestinians didn't even give it the time of day. And I, I want you to know that was intentional. I, uh, he knew, uh, the Trump deal knew what the Palestinians were gonna do. They, they sort of offered them a, a, a deal, which included the possibility of dividing up Jerusalem and, and Israel. And some of you might say, well, see, they're trying to divide Jerusalem. But I, it, um, it's pretty clear if you understand the politics of it, they were making it a deal that they knew that the Palestinians would absolutely reject. Um, and they did. And um, by the way, their plan is working right now. Whether you like it or not, um, what's happened? The Palestinians so stoutly rejected the peace deal 
that other nations who are kind of worried about Iran and afraid and knows that Israel's the only safe place in the Middle East right now, there's nations beating down the door saying, we wanna make peace now with Israel. We wanna be on Israel's side. The Palestinians are being left behind. By the way, the Palestinians I feel sorry for. They're just a pawn in the, in the middle of a horrible Arab-Israeli conflict that's happened for centuries. Um, and the Palestinian people uh, are sweet. Many of them I've, I've, I've met to, uh, and know and love. And I, I have friends that are Palestinians. Um, and I, I'm not making a statement about what I think about Palestinians, but I am making a statement on does Jerusalem belong to the Palestinians? Um, and, and the answer is no. The Arabs are trying to make that case. Um, and um, you need to understand the history of Israel and the way that all, who the Palestinians really are. Uh, there's so much misinformation out there. But all that to say, the Arab-Israeli deal that Trump presented was really aroused to, to show that they're not interested in peace at all. And the, the Palestinians and the Arabs representing them, the Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran, they actually just don't want Israel at all. They wanna wipe them off the map. They wanna drive the Jews into the ocean and call it a day. And that's what Trump and Netanyahu and all, that peace deal was shaking out. Once they showed that, then Bahrain and UAE, and I think there's other nations that are gonna follow are signing peace treaties right now. First time in 25 years, peace treaties have been signed with the Israelis uh, by Arabs. Um, the last time was uh, the um, Jordanians uh, 20, 25 years ago, and then years before that, the Egyptians. Um, but other than that, we haven't had any peace deals, but now, Peace deals are coming in by the droves and, and, and we're gonna see more, I think, uh, perhaps. So it is an interesting time. Now, some of you say, what does that do about the end times, Brett? Israel's suddenly at peace with all these nations. Fits perfectly with Bible prophecy. Remember in Ezekiel 38 prophecy, it says that before the Gog Magog invasion, they're gonna be a time of peace and safety and there's gonna be nations that will attack Israel, but there's also nations that will be um, aligned with Israel. And the ones that are signing peace deals right now are the very ones the Bible said would be on their side. So it's actually fulfilling Bible prophecy as we speak, and it's pretty exciting. But I'm off the track now uh, talking about all that. The point is Jerusalem belongs to God, and that should be the end of the discussion. He put his name on it. And during the millennial kingdom, this will be the end of that discussion. Um, they'll, even the Gentiles will all say um, and bow down to the Lord and say, the Lord uh, the city is, belongs to the Lord and the, uh, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. That's verse 14. Verse 15, whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated so that no man went through thee, I will make thee an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. Wow. Um, again, you know, how can we believe in replacement theology that God's done with the Jews when he's talking to the Jews through the prophet Isaiah about the millennial kingdom, saying, you've been forsaken and hated by the world, Jews, but um, I'm gonna make you an eternal excellency and a joy of generations. That's, what's gonna, that's what the Jewish people are gonna be. Um, boy, I probably shouldn't go into all this, but did you hear the Proud Boys discussion in the debate last night? And um, why are people calling them white supremacists and racists? 
um, like, you know, Biden uh, is called, even today on his train trip, he was talking about the Proud Boys being racist and uh, white supremacists. And some of you might say, but I saw African-American guys on the Proud Boys team. And then there are. Um, so are they white supremacists? And who are they? Now, I, you know, I'm an equal opportunity of offender. If you remember, I sh showed that Black Lives Matter is a Marxist group that uh, wants to you know, tear apart the nuclear family. Uh, like I, I showed how Black Lives Matter is something that a Christian can't support uh, as an organization. Of course, Black Lives Matter, of course. But the organization is demonic and satanic and you don't wanna be a part of Black Lives Matter. Just telling you, if you're a Christian, Look at their statement on their website. By the way, they removed the destroying of the nuclear family comment um, uh, on their, um, their thing, but that's still their thing. Along with LGBTQ, uh, totally supporting that uh, and other things that as Christians, we, we're not really wanting to promote. Um, but I'll also tell you about other things. I told you about how we have to be careful with QAnon and there tends to be um, a, 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 a sort of a backside of that that can be anti-Semitic. Um, and um, probably talk more about that at some other time. But be careful who you align yourself with, Christians. I'm finding that I'm gonna align myself with the Church of Jesus Christ, and that's my organization that I'm gonna trust. But Proud Boys, um, one of the reasons they're called white supremacists, just so you know, is the founder, or one, the founder of Proud Boys uh, did a rant. I think he did a rant somewhere and made a video, 10 Things I Hate About, Jews, <laughs> and, um, and he, he's uh, pretty anti-Semitic, very anti-Semitic. Um, and that's another reason why you'll never see me uh, marching with the Proud Boys, just like I won't march with BLM. Uh, because the Proud Boys, as much as some of you might wanna be behind them because you're saying, man, God, guns, and, and the American flag, as much as I love, I love this country and I, I thank the Lord for our Second Amendment rights and I, I'm, I'm a proud American for sure, um, but we have to be careful who we align ourselves with. Um, make sure that when you jump on board an organization because you think they look cool or side with your thing, check their statements, check who they are and what they believe. And minimally, I haven't looked deeply into the Proud Boys but um, their, their origins, their founder, who's no longer with them, by the way, he's the reason that uh, you know, some of the people are saying they're white supremacists and like the Ku Klux Klan. It's because of their statements about Jews, particularly. There might be other things uh, that makes them that. I don't know, you, you'll have to do your own homework on that. But, uh, but be careful who you side with. Anybody who sides with anti-Semitism, that means to be hating Jews, um, as a Christian, you and I have no business being a part of those groups. We should run from our, for our lives from that because the Bible says, I will bless those who bless the Jews and I will curse those who curse the Jews. It's just that simple. Um, we need to be on the correct side of this. Now, the Jews have been hated for millennia now. And, and we see it right here um, in, in our, our verse. It says, verse 15, whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated. Boy, that's the truth. Nobody's hated anybody like people have hated the Jews. Um, well, Brett, it's like the uh, racism in, of African-Americans, African slaves. I would say anti-Semitism is worse. I'll tell you why. By the way, one of the things the Proud Boys guy founder said is the Holocaust wasn't really as bad as they said it was. And um, he was minimizing the Holocaust, even saying that not, not really six million people died. I mean, he sounds like uh, Ahmadinejad of Iran suddenly. This guy saying the Holocaust really wasn't that big a deal. Um, 
But see, the difference between racism and African-American, um, you know, uh, horrible treatment that we've done there, that's bad enough. But nobody has said, we're gonna totally annihilate all African-Americans off the planet. I've never heard that agenda. But that agenda has been applied to the Jewish people many times, whether you're talking about, you know, uh, the emperor Hadrian uh, in the Roman empire, or you're talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, or if you're talking about Pharaoh, or if you're talking about Adolf Hitler, there's been many times throughout history where they said, we're gonna annihilate the Jews and wipe them off the face of the earth, um, ethnically cleanse the earth of Jews. That, that's as bad as it gets. And the Lord says, you've been hated all these centuries, but during the millennial kingdom, I will make thee an, ex an eternal excellency and a joy for many generations. One of the biggest things we're gonna see in the millennial kingdom is Jewish people will no longer be hated. But the, the, um, they'll be exalted and, and they'll be blessed. They'll be in the right mind, uh, unlike how they are now. Part of the persecution they've done or received is somewhat to their own doing, not all, but you know, they've, they've made some mistakes as a group of people, like we all have. But in the millennial kingdom, all those things will be righted and there'll be an eternal joy that's gonna be the future in the millennial kingdom. Verse 16, thou shalt also suck the milk of the Gentiles and shall suck the breast of kings. And thou shalt know that I, the Lord, am thy savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Um, some of you are like, Brett, what's that all about? The Jews are gonna suck the breasts of the Gentiles and the kings of the nations? Yes. But in the Bible times, we get all weird on this imagery and stuff, but the idea is the other nations are gonna come and nourish uh, the Jewish people. That's, that's all that's being said there. It's very flowery, you know, literary use of this idea of the breastfeeding, you know, on, on the Gentiles. Uh, don't get all caught up in that, uh, other than it means that the other nations are gonna come and bless and nourish Israel during the millennial kingdom. Verse 17, for brass, I will bring gold, for iron, I will bring silver, for wood, brass, and for stones, iron. I will also make thy officers peace and thine exactors righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land wasting nor destruction within thy borders. But thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. Isn't it interesting that one of the only cities, well, one of the few cities in the world that still has walls and gates is Jerusalem to this day. But it says here that those walls and those gates are gonna be a blessed city um, and there's no more violence. Isn't it interesting? Yerushalem means city of peace. Jerusalem, city of peace. And it's not been that. It's been the city of violence for many, many years. I've been there when bombs have gone off on buses and violence has sprouted, you know, decade after decade. Jerusalem and Israel's been a speed bump for the generations of battles and armies that have marched through that region of the world. Um, the history of Israel is, is horrifying when it comes to blood and warfare and violence. But during the millennial kingdom, it'll be the epicenter of peace. Um, verse 19, the sun shall be no more. Remember I talked about the light of the sun and Jesus is the coming and the rising of the sun in the millennial kingdom. The sun, verse 19, shall be no more by light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light. And thy God, thy glory, 
Thy sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw thy, itself. For the Lord shall be thine everlasting light and the days of thy morning shall be ended. You see what I mean? How the millennial kingdom is gonna be different than today. It's not like we're gonna just go on our normal, oh, it's a normal day, sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset. It's not gonna happen in the millennial kingdom. Now the book of Revelation sort of mentions this in Revelation 21. Uh, listen to what it says in verse 23, Revelation 21, 23, it says, the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine it for the glory of God did light it. And the lamb, that's Jesus, is the light thereof and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and do honor to it. So the book of Revelation agrees with the book of Isaiah about this uh, no need for the sun. If you wanna get a suntan and get some vitamin D, just bask in the light <coughs> of the Lord. So we see that right here. Verse 21, thy people shall also uh, all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. I'm gonna make Israel bigger, stronger. The things that are small, I'm gonna make big. Um, this is the Lord just saying, I'm gonna bright, shine brightly and bless, bless greatly um, during the millennial kingdom. Quickly, chapter 61, we looked at a good chunk of this on Sunday um, where Jesus gave his first scripture reading in his ministry in that little synagogue in Nazareth in Luke chapter four. But he read only a part of this. And we looked at, and if you missed this, I, I, whether you knew it or not, I was talking about dispensationalism that I started this study with tonight because we talked about what part of it's the millennial kingdom, which part of it is, um, was for us today, the church age. And we found out that half of this is for us today because Jesus said so. The other half of it's for the millennial kingdom. And he stopped reading in that section because he wanted to say to them, today this is fulfilled in your ears. He couldn't have said that the whole section if we read the whole thing. So he stopped mid-sentence and, and, and I'll show you where that is again. But if you missed that study, it's an important study on uh, Jesus, the millennial kingdom and uh, the current blessings of Christ. So it says, verse one of 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me. That is Jesus speaking here. We know that from Luke four. Uh, anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's where Jesus stopped, mid-sentence. And he closed the book and they sat down and they looked at him, finish the sentence. And he said, today, these things have been fulfilled in your ears. All that we just read right there, Jesus is the fulfillment of that, the first coming. The second coming, different dispensation of time, the millennial kingdom starts right here. He says to proclaim the acceptable of our Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. That's gonna happen on the day of the Lord. The, the rapture of the church, the tribulation period, all that's gonna kick in a whole different dispensation of God's wrath and vengeance and to comfort all that mourn. Who's mourning? We've talked about that on Sunday. The Jews are mourning at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. Remember that? Verse three, to appoint them that are mourning in Zion. Who are that? Who are those people? The Jews mourning in Zion to give unto them beauty for ashes. That's what we were just reading about in chapter 60, that God's gonna take the violence and the hatred of the world 
of the Jews and gonna turn it into something beautiful. Beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. So this is the promise. In the millennial kingdom, the Jews are gonna be uh, no longer sad, no longer uh, disappointed, or there's, I, I, I always refer to their music as always in a minor, minor king. Every song you hear in Jerusalem or in Israel, like very serious, scary music. Because they've been so oppressed all the centuries, their music is depressing. Forgive me if you're a Jew and you like that kind of music, forgive me. But I like more major keys. And, and I believe Jerusalem and the Jews are gonna be singing beautiful praise that's not in a minor key uh, during the millennial kingdom. Well, verse four, and they shall build the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolations and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks and your sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. During the millennial kingdom, the Jews are gonna have a specific role of ministering to the Lord, priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. They're gonna be in Jerusalem ministering to the Lord. And sort of like the priests of the Old Testament, who's, who provided for the priests and the, and the Levites and the ministry? The people. They would give a tithe of their wheat and their grain and their food and their stuff. And then the priests would be sort of supported by people, kind of like taxes uh, in, a, in a way, but the millennial kingdom, the Jews will be provided for by the world as they serve God in the temple. It's all laid out right here. Verse seven, for your shame, ye shall have double. For your confusion, they, uh, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land, they shall possess the double. Every la uh, everlasting joy shall be unto them. You know, the Lord's gonna make up for all the losses of the Jews. You know, um, there's still horrible um, things that have happened to famous artwork and wealth of Jews that were taken by the Nazis during the Holocaust. And there's still artwork in people's houses hanging that belonged to some Jew that was some Nazi, you know, there's still artwork that the Germans and people are hiding. There's even movies that, I forget the name of that one movie. There's one movie about this one woman who goes and, uh, retrieves artwork that would belong to her family. Uh, but that kind of stuff, you know, um, is still horrible. Lord said, I'm gonna give the Jews double for all that have been taken. Um, so when you feel bad for the Jews and the Holocaust, which we could and should, the Lord's gonna make that right um, in the millennial kingdom. For I, the Lord, love judgment. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Lord has made an everlasting covenant. And you can talk about which one, whether it's the Abrahamic covenant or even the new covenant, Jeremiah 31. We can talk about that um, when we will, when we get to Jeremiah 31. And verse nine, their seed shall be known among the Gentiles, their offspring among the people, all that see them shall acknowledge them that they are the seed which the Lord hath blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God for he hath clothed, clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. 
Now, this robing of righteousness is such a glorious theme. You've heard this one. We've talked about this. Now, some of you might say, Brett, you know, I'm a little troubled. The context here is the millennial kingdom and he's talking about the Jews. You're right. So can we not claim the robing of righteousness? The answer is we can claim the robing of righteousness for a lot of reasons. As Gentiles, as the church of Jesus Christ, we've been grafted into the vine of the Jew. But the idea of being robed is not just an Isaiah 61 verse, but it's, it's all throughout the Bible. Even Romans, you know, um, chapter 13 talks about, it's high time to put off the clothing of darkness and put on the clothing of light. Um, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our robe of righteousness, according to Romans 13, end of that chapter. Um, and we can apply this promise to the Jews, which is given to the Jews, we can apply it to ourselves because of other scriptures that confirm that. Thank the Lord for that. Um, verse 11, for as the earth brings forth her bud, as the garden causes uh, the, the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. How is the Lord gonna bring righteousness into this world? The same way when you see a plant grow. By the way, what part of you does it take for plants to grow? <laughs> the answer is nothing. God does it. Isn't it amazing when you, you know, you just plant a seed in a garden and, uh, you know, a plant grows. Like, that's just a miraculous thing. And the Lord is saying, even as the plant grows with just my doing it, that's how my kingdom's gonna be brought in. That's why kingdom now, dominion theology, where we are gonna usher in the kingdom, we're gonna be the ones to do all the work. Nope. God is like a plant growing. He's just gonna let the sun rise, Jesus rise on the earth, the second coming of Christ. The, the light's gonna shine. The earth is gonna be brought into everlasting righteousness. It's the kingdom that's coming. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God, when it comes, when Jesus comes and rules from Jerusalem, it's gonna be a glorious salvation for the Jews but it's gonna be a glorious existence for the whole world because we're gonna be robed in righteousness, everlasting kingdom, new bodies, new heaven, new earth eventually. It's gonna be amazing, something to look forward to. This whole world is dark, it's falling apart. The Lord says he's gonna fold it up like an old garment and put it away. And there's gonna be just newness coming. We have that to look forward to. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't get all caught up in all the depression of things that are going on in the world. I mean, we need to know what's going on in the world, but don't become part of this world. Be careful who you're aligning yourself with and joining forces with. Man, we as Christians, we, we're citizens of heaven. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. There's no person, Trump or Biden, who's gonna save this, this world or save the United States. That's not gonna happen. We're in big trouble um, because of sin. And the answer uh, to darkness and sin and evil and destruction and the world falling apart, it's Jesus. And it's Christ coming to make all the wrongs right and to have his light shining upon this earth. That's what we should be looking forward to. That's what we should be praying about. And until that happens, may our eyes be on Jesus. In Jesus' name, let's pray. And so Lord, tonight, these two chapters, uh, really powerful um, exciting to hear about what your kingdom is gonna be like. But Lord, it's so, so, so much that we read, but at the same time, so much that's still kind of a mystery. But we know that it's gonna be good. And that's why you taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we pray tonight. Lord, forgive us where we get caught up in um, this world's practices and scenes and get all frustrated by what's going on. Lord, you, you've told us everything that's gonna happen. There should be nothing that really surprises us as Christians, but we find ourselves surprised and shocked and blown away and depressed. Lord, I pray that we'd turn our affection and our attention to you. May we rest solely upon your word as it is truth, Lord. Thank you for the firm foundation of the scripture. I pray that your church would be given to good doctrine, good teaching, solid biblical worldview. Lord, may we not be easily duped to following this group or that group or that movement or that emotional high. Lord, may we be people of doctrine, people of your word, Lord, set firmly on the truth of scripture, Lord. So we thank you for this study time tonight. May it bring forth good fruit in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.